We could all picture uh, two young elementary school kids. They live in the same neighborhood, and while they're playing one afternoon, they decide that they should become best friends. So they give each other a high five, and they move on to the other important components of after-school play. And then imagine the next day, they see each other at school, and friend A goes up to friend B, who happens to be hanging out with some of his other friends from school, and friend B just decides to ignore his friend from the neighborhood, friend A. Friend A is frustrated, and he goes up to friend B on the playground, and he says, hey man, what's the deal? I thought we were best friends. Well... Let me explain, says friend B. Um, (laughs) We're best friends at home in the neighborhood, but we're not best friends at school. And as you can imagine, friend A would be frustrated, he would be confused. And as adults, at least on the surface, we understand That friendship, especially best friendship, transcends the neighborhood, it transcends school and work or whatever else. It's something that reaches into and touches every area of our lives. And if you have a good friend, you know that that friend is a friend through thick and thin. One of the most amazing things about Christianity, one of the most beautiful and sometimes frustrating parts of Christianity is that it reaches... It touches, it affects every area of our lives. Living as a Christian is all-encompassing, and that's one of the messages that we've heard week after week from the book of Romans. With the Christian life and the Christian ethic, if our lives have been turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ, every part of our lives is touched by the Christian faith and the Christian message. There are no places where we can conscientiously say to God, you can have this, but you can't have that. There are no places in our lives where we can uh, say, well, this is mine, but God, you can have the rest. We can be friends on the weekend, God, but uh, during the week, I'm going to call my own shots and call my own plays. The Christian faith addresses and approaches every area, avenue, and arena of our lives in this world. It addresses our thoughts, our time, our work, our hobbies, the way we interact with our neighbors, uh, the way we think, what we do. The Christian life addresses and affects every single part of who we are, and it even affects the way that we interact with and relate to the government and the place in which we live. So what are some of the things that we can learn this morning from Romans uh, chapter 13? What does this mean for us? Well, one of the first things it means is that we will need the grace and the forgiveness and compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ all along the way. As we try to figure out what Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 means, we will need the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I think another thing that this does not mean is it it doesn't mean that Christians have all the answers in these areas of life, even though sometimes we act like we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that we know all the implications and applications of these principles in life. 
And contrary to what Pastor Scott said last week, the high billing that I received about this passage, you will probably leave here this morning with more questions than when you came, and that's okay. We have the freedom to wrestle through and pray through what Romans 13 is all about. But with that being said, I think there are some principles that we can take from this passage this morning. There are some positive instructions that can help us walk in this world. And I think the key word to Romans 13, 1 through 7 is the word submission. We can learn to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in in some way, that's what the Christian faith is all about, submitting to the authority and Lordship of Jesus Christ, following Him and learning how to submit ourselves to His rule and His reign in our lives. And so this is one more opportunity, one more area in our lives where we can figure out what it means to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the passage together. The first thing... I think we see from Romans 13 is the idea of submitting to authority. And if you've been around Christianity for, for a long time, you've probably heard a sermon or heard a pastor where the pastor says, well, actually, I did some research, and in the original Greek, the meaning here uh, gives us a better implication or a better idea of what it, what it really means in this passage. So it doesn't mean what we think it means but it means something different. And sometimes those, those insights are very helpful. So I've done some research. I've gone back to the original um, to get a better sense of understanding of what uh, Romans 13.1 says. And this is what it means. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It means <laughs> what it plainly says. Um, there's no special meaning. It doesn't say be subject to the really great and wonderful governing authorities. It doesn't say be subject to them as long as you like all of their policies and practices. There's a simple principle. Uh, Submit to the government, submit to the governing authorities, and keep the laws of the land. Because Jesus is Lord, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is real, one of the things that Christians are called to do is to be good citizens, to obey the law of the land. Scott talked about this some last week. He said, as far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. I think uh, 1 Thessalonians speaks to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, aspire to live a quiet life, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And there are all sorts of passages that we could look to, but I I think the principle here is simple and it's powerful. Because Jesus is Lord, because God is sovereign and he has appointed the leaders and the government over us, because the name of Jesus and the cause of the kingdom of Christ in most cases is advanced as we submit to and follow the laws of the land, the powers that be, we're called to be subject to to the governing authorities. Now I know for some of you, the hair on the back of your neck is standing up right now. And the teeth are grinding a little bit and maybe they're showing like, you know, when a dog is angry. Um, But wait, Josh, you don't understand. 
You don't realize how difficult it is. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, let's think through some of the implications and applications of what Romans 13 might mean for us. The first principle is uh, seen in verses 2 through 4, that they're here to serve. The purpose, the role of government, the powers that be, is to protect and defend those who do right and good and to prosecute and punish those who do wrong or who are doing bad. Look at verse 3 with me. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval. Um, If someone's living a peaceful life, a lawful life, then they shouldn't have need to worry that someone's going to come and get them. You know, we should live in a way where we don't have anything to hide. We shouldn't be afraid. Um, And there's a positive principle. It's seen in verse 4. He, the government, is God's servant for good. Think about some applications of this or some examples. When you totaled your car... Who were some of the first people there? The firemen and the policemen. They were there with the jaws of light, life to cut you out of the car because they're there to help. Um, by God's grace, Pastor Woody is with us. Some of you may not know this, but uh, several years ago he had a massive heart attack. And uh, by God's grace and mercy... He's with us, and part of God's grace and mercy was demonstrated to him in a helicopter taking him to the hospital so he could be revived. Think about Kevin Vickers just this week, you know, the head of security of the Canadian Parliament. A man killed a Canadian soldier. He was coming into the Parliament to go after those uh, legislators, and Kevin Vickers protected them, and he took matters into his own hands. He protected those that he was charged to protect. There's this overriding principle. They're here for our good. And there's a specific example that we see from the passage. It's seen in verse 4. He is the servant of God, the avenger who carries out God's wrath against the evildoer. He doesn't carry the sword in vain. And the translation into our modern context is pretty simple. The, The leader's don't carry guns for no reason. Uh, they have the death penalty for a reason. A part of God's plan and purpose is for the government to help provide justice and judgment to folks who break the laws of the land. And uh, it's really interesting to think about this, especially in light of last week's sermon where it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And it's not this, um, this free pass for folks to hurt others and break God's commandments. Uh, in fact, one of the important roles of government is bringing folks to justice, in executing judgment and justice for those who have broken God's law. So... One of the things that we can say is that they're here, the government is here, at least in general terms, for our good. I think another implication or application from this passage is also 
that it's complicated. It is complicated. And here's one of the potential objections you may be saying within your heart and mind. It may go something like this. Paul and those folks in the first century, they didn't understand the complexities of living in the modern world. They don't know how complicated... They didn't know how complicated it was to submit to a government that has corruption, a government that may be unstable, where people are overtaxed and alienated and ostracized. Well, actually, Paul and the Roman Christians, they knew all about that. They probably felt tension and the rub of Romans 13 deeper in a more profound way than any of us in this room. There were seasons in the first century where there was direct and fierce persecution of Christians by the Roman government. There were seasons when Christians were imprisoned and fed to lions in the Colosseum and burned at the stake. And these words were still for them. Yet on the other side of the coin in God's providence, you remember when when Paul went to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21... And uh, he brought uh, with him Timothy. And the folks in Jerusalem accused him of bringing a Gentile into uh, the temple. And there was this riot and Paul's life was at stake. And what did Paul do? He appealed to his Roman citizenship. He appealed to Caesar. And that appeal gave him a longer life and a longer ministry. Think about it in terms of God's providence and God's purposes, the big picture kind of thing. The Roman Empire was one of the human reasons why Christianity was able to grow and expand at such an incredible rate in the first century and beyond. So the Roman roads, the Pax Romano, a unified language, it was, it was also one of the institutions that abused and persecuted Christians. Like I said, there are no easy answers. The command is real, it's difficult, it's complicated. And there are all sorts of marginal exceptions that we want to run down. What if the government isn't fair? What about people that do this and that? What about those who, who, who tell us that we have to do these things? And those are all very real things. They're real. The exceptions are real. Those things that you're thinking about are real. But... The exceptions on the margins, I don't think, negate the principle. It'd kind of be like this. You're in trouble. You're hurt. You were out in the yard with the chainsaw, and uh, like most of us, you didn't know what you were doing, and you cut your arm, and you're bleeding, and you need stitches, and it's serious, and you go into your wife and she says, we need to go to the hospital. And she said, and you say, no, I don't want to go to the hospital because I might get staph infection. Well, you're going to die here if you don't go. Uh, the, the exception doesn't negate the principle. So it is complicated. And I think Paul and our Lord Jesus Christ knew that. But there are also times when God calls us to obey him rather than man. You know this, you've been waiting for me to bring it up, but Romans 13 is only one part of God's big picture instruction and example about what it means to live as a Christian in 
this world. There are several examples and instructions from other places that help us create a big picture view of what it means to follow God and live for God in this world. And one example of folks who obeyed God but also had a huge impact in the, the place where they lived, I think we see is from uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. You remember the book of Daniel where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they worked for the Babylonian government. They were essentially prisoners taken into captivity and they worked for the good of the place where they lived, but they also boldly stood for and obeyed God himself. There were times when their Christian principles, their obedience and allegiance to God, superseded their allegiance to the government. They would not bow their knee to idols. They wouldn't change the way that they prayed. And they were willing to risk their own lives to stand up for obedience to God in the face of a command that said, don't worship or serve God. So as far as it's possible as believers submit to the government, but when the government calls us to forsake or compromise the worship and service and obedience to God that's outlined in his word, there's ground, there's precedent for saying no. Remember when the religious leaders tried to tell Peter and John, hey, we want you to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was in Acts chapter 4. And I love these words from Peter. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must be the judge. But we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. So when the government calls us to call what is evil good or what's good evil, we may have to stand up for the word of God. And there... There are many around the world now who suffer persecution for their faith in Christ, who are alienated, beaten, imprisoned, who even face death because of their profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. And there may be times in your life, maybe times in our lifetime, where standing with the basic message of Christianity and Christian truth will mean Persecution, And if those times come, with much humility, probably with fear and trembling, we'll have to commit to obey God rather than man. Jesus said it this way. The servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Listen to what Peter says about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So the first principle that we see from Romans 13 is to submit to authority. But uh, there's also another principle that we see here, and it's that we answer to a higher authority. You guys ever eaten Hebrew national hot dogs? They're really good hot dogs. 
Their, their slogan is, we answer to a higher authority. And uh, the idea of conscience comes into play in Romans chapter 13 and in 1 Peter 3. The Christian life, the Christian ethic is way deeper and more powerful than, I just don't want to get caught. It's not simply about obeying when other people are watching or when uh, the cameras are turned on. Christian obedience and living the Christian life is about obeying and serving God when no one else is around, when no one else sees, in the the secret and the private place. Verse 5 says, One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. It's not about giving lip service, but it's, it's the principle that we see from Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, what does it say? Do for the glory of God. So it's not just that we don't get caught. It's, it's doing right when no one else is around. And this is really a call for us to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And there's a, a direct example from Romans chapter 13, verse 6. For this reason you pay taxes. Um, because Jesus is Lord and the gospel is real, we shouldn't cheat on our taxes. We should pay our debts and our obligations. We pay physically what we owe, and it even goes beyond that in verse 7. We give people honor and respect, uh, those to whom it's owed. So I think there are a couple ways that we can think about application. First of all, don't try to hide behind your Christian liberty. You ever thought about that before? We can, we can very easily try to hide behind our Christian liberty. I think if you're a Christian and you're honest with yourself, there's this tendency. There's a streak many times among God's people, especially people who've been around God's, uh, been around Christianity for a long time, uh, to think that uh, the rules really don't apply to us. You know, I mean, I live a fairly moral life. I'm not into bad things. Um, There are certain situations where, because I'm a Christian, you know, I'm above the laws of the land. We can hide behind our Christian liberty. Maybe you've said it or thought it before. I'm free in Christ. I don't need to follow these man-made laws. And uh, I think that can be a very dangerous way to think in this world. And one, one area in which I addressed or, or interacted with that thinking in the past 13 years as a campus minister uh, was on the idea of underage drinking. And uh, there are all kinds of excuses. 21 is just a man-made law. My parents don't care. I've got it under control. Well... It's still against the law when you're drinking with a bunch of freshmen at Reggie's bar. It's still against the law. And it defeats the principle that I think that is outlined here for conscience sake. It's not a matter of Christian liberty. It's a matter of disobedience. There's nothing morally superior or binding to the date November 15th, 2014. There's nothing special about that except that's the day that Julia and Taylor are married. They're back there. Um, but if you went 
into the woods in East Baton Rouge Parish and you're over the age of 18 and you shot a deer with a rifle before that day, you could go to jail. It's poaching. It's against the law. Those are small things. They're small examples. But when we, uh, when we bend the rules in, in, in the name of Christian liberty, we start down a dangerous path. And what I think this passage tells us, especially the part about conscience, is that um, we're called to obey God in the small things and in the big, big things. And we fail and we fall, and this is why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that we need to remember is that we do answer to a higher authority, and we shouldn't hide behind Christian liberty. And another thing that we see from verse 7 is that we're to give honor to whom honor is due. It's quite easy for people, not just Christian people, but for people to bash those who work in the government. It's very easy to do that. Especially if that person, if she's not my candidate or he's not my guy. There are plenty of people in government that I disagree with. There are plenty of things locally, statewide, nationally, that I wish were different. There are plenty of politicians and government workers who have made a big mess of things. And that's a reality. But remember the fact that there are plenty of areas in your life where you've made a big mess of things too. And I think one of the principles here when we think about giving honor to whom honor is due and respect to whom respect is due is to remember Christian charity and human dignity as we think about and talk about people, especially people who have authority over us. So those are some of the things that uh, I think that we can see from Romans 13. I feel like I've answered all the possible questions. No, that's not true. Um, We've waded through challenging concepts and ideas. I don't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, But as we close, I think that we need to go back to where we began. And not the beginning of Romans, but where we began this section, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Remember these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what I want us to take away. Seek to submit to the powers that be, to the authorities, out of and from the mercies of God that are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rest and rely and return to Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, the empty tomb. Seek to follow him and walk with him in a complex and complicated world. The answers aren't easy. We don't know what to do many times. It's why we need this gospel and God's grace to be near and dear to our hearts. And why we seek to bring every area of our lives under the the lordship, the reign, the authority of Jesus. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And ask the Lord to give you wisdom and discernment and grace as you seek to follow Jesus, even in this area of our lives, which we think is off limits, but it's not. God is the Lord 
of the way we relate to one another, the way we relate to our neighbors, and the way we relate to the government. And uh, know that in whatever circumstances, when we fail and fall, that we can rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer, and he'll make us whole. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, even when it kind of comes in conflict with the way that we naturally think, the way that we look at this world. I pray that our minds and our hearts and our lives will be transformed through your word and by seeing Jesus face to face. And I pray that you would help us and give us wisdom for Jesus' sake. Amen. At this point, uh, we will take up an offering, giving tithes and offerings to support the work of our church.